gratitude song is one of my absolute uh, favorite songs because there's a lot of truth in there. We, we don't have much uh, that we can offer God, and the great thing is, is what He wants is us, right? That's what we have to offer is, here I am, Lord, and that's what He wants. So uh, this morning we're going to be uh, continuing our study in 1 Corinthians, uh, the Address the Mess series. Um, and we're going to be, Lord willing, closing out this chapter. Now, they gave me uh, 24 verses to close this chapter out. Okay, and you guys already know I've not been shy about it. I'm long-winded. I told the guys back there and, and a couple other people, I go into these messages. I really do. And I tell myself, 30 minutes, Scotty, 30 minutes. And it's never 30 minutes. And I apologize, but that's just that's the way it is. Sandy told me she was going to give me a, uh, she was going to give me a mint. And when the mint was gone, that would tell me it's time to stop. I told her, give me two, just, just to be sure. But this morning, again, we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians 16, and then Chris will start uh, 2 Corinthians next week, Lord willing. And um, Has everyone enjoyed the study up to this point? It's, it's been awesome, hasn't it? It's been awesome to, to get into the Word of God and really see uh, what the Word of God has to say about things. One more time, has everybody enjoyed and been excited about the messages amen yes yes so now i want you to remember that as we go into this last chapter okay remember that and remember that you love me okay so let's go ahead and let's open up in prayer and then we'll get into the message father god we come to you this morning lord and god just like the song says lord we don't have much that we can offer you we really don't have anything but what you desire is us, God. What you desire is a heart that seeks after you, a heart that loves others as you love, God. So that is something we can do, Lord. And, Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us, God, that you would open doors for us, that we could walk through those doors. Give us the courage and the strength to do that, God. And, God, anything that would hinder us this morning, that, that would hinder us from worshiping you, Lord, God, let us leave it outside the door. And let our hearts be here focused on you and on your word. And Jesus, we just pray that you would bless your word as it goes forth, God, because that is where the power lies. It's not in any speaker, God, no man, but it is in your word and your word alone. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. All right, so let's jump right in because I don't want to. I don't want to take too long here. So let's jump right in. First Corinthians 16 starts out. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church, churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collection be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Well, 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 right? <laughs> so Pastor Nate gets to pull on me what Chris pulls on him all the time. So I get to start to teach on money here. Isn't that just fitting that the person with the least of it gets to teach about it, right? Isn't that fitting how that happens? I love to actually love to, to teach on money sometimes and on giving because you can kind of look out in the crowd and you can see people start to check their wallet, Right? You can see people, they start to do this, and they get the scowl on their face, right? Because all the church wants is money. And that's not the truth at all. But it is the whole Word of God. 
And so we keep the whole word of God. I heard this story once of a farmer. He had, uh, he came in running into his wife and he said, Honey, you won't believe this. Our cow had twins. Now, I'm not a farmer. I guess that can be rare. I heard like 5 to 10% maybe. He said, Our cows, our cow had twins. So now, how awesome is it that we can keep one for ourselves and use it for what we need? And then we have this one that we can offer and we can dedicate to the God's word and give that to him for his word. And the wife said, honey, that is awesome. Which, which one do we want to keep and which one do we want to give to God? The, bright, the brown one or the white one? He said, honey, that don't matter. That doesn't matter. Let's just raise them up together. And when it gets time, we'll sell them and then we'll give the Lord you know, his, his money. And about a month later, he comes in and he's all, he's sad and he's dejected. And he says, honey, I've got this awful news. He said, what is it? And he said, God's cow died. And he said, honey, she said, honey, how do you know? Because we never really said which one it was going to be. He said, yeah, honey, I decided it was the white one, and the white one died, honey. That's awful. That's really sometimes how we are to God, right? We try to maneuver and we try to do things and make things work out for our benefit and we always try to make sure that we look out for number one don't we because no one else is going to do that we're forgetting who who we are to trust everything over to but we try to do that to god sometimes and try to i just can't give to god because of this and this and this and this and this we do those things to god not knowing that god is sitting there ready to bless us if we'll be generous with what God has given us instead of looking out for number one all the time. Now in verses 1 through 4, Paul says, concerning the collection for the saints, and just as he had given orders to the Galatian church, and you can go read in Galatians, Paul's collecting up this money. He's got a heart for the poor. He's got a huge heart for the poor. And Jerusalem has, the church in Jerusalem has really been struggling. There was famine in that area and they're struggling. And Paul's taking up this collection uh, for these people and for saints abroad. And for these saints around the world, he wants to look out for these people instead of looking out for number one. And he takes this out. And so Paul really gives us a blueprint, right, of how we are to be in our giving. The first thing he says is, what does he say? On the first day of every week. That's, that's the Lord's day, the day that the early church decided this is the day we're going to come and we're going to worship God. And he says, on that day, on the first day of the week, Store up something and bring it with you so that you have something to bring with you. Set it aside so that you have it already ready to give. Now, I know I get it. Some of you guys get paid like I do, bi-weekly, bi-monthly. The point is, is out of the first that you have, out of the best that you have, out of your abundance, bring that and give that to God. That's the principle that we are to have. Not just when I remember it. Or not just when I feel like it, right? When I have a little extra money to spare. God says, out of what I've blessed you with, the first thing that you do is you set it aside and you prepare that gift for me. Prepare that gift for me out of the first things that I give you. And now also notice that it says, each one of you, right? Not some of you. Not only the rich of you. Each one of you is to set it aside. God expects every one of us to give to him and give to his cause and to his purpose. Now, I know that we're all in here. We're all in different situations. Some of us 
are a lot more wealthy than others. I understand that. I get that. But God still expects all of us to get to Him. That is one of the spiritual disciplines that God wants us to get, is offering and giving back what He's already given us. Every one of us in here, if we're truly honest, we can give something to God. Now, you may think that you can't, but I challenge you, if you think that you can't, go take a look at your bank statement and see where you're spending your money and see if you can't cut something out to give something to God and to His ministry. I challenge every one of us to do that. And then Paul says here that we are to give as we prosper. So as God is blessing us and as God is doing things in our life and as God has given us a bounty, we should give as we prosper, right? We should get, So if we make, I'm just throwing out numbers here, if we make $500 a week and we'll say our offering is $30, $40, $50 a week, whatever it is, if we get a raise or we get a bonus, has God prospered you? Should you not give off of what God has prospered us with? God expects us to give as we prosper. We can't continue to hold our hand out to God and say, give me more, give me more, give me more. And when we get it, we clinch it. Because eventually he can't pour any more into that, right? He can't pour any into a clenched fist. And if God blesses us, it's only right to give back. It's only right to give back to God. Now, if we're not being prospered, I know sometimes we go through struggles. Sometimes we lose a job. Sometimes we take a big financial hit. I believe truly that God, God understands that. And sometimes maybe we need to pull back a little bit if we're being honest with ourselves and we're being honest with God that He knows already. And I would, I would challenge each one of us that we need to follow our conviction and go to God on that when we decide to do that. Because there are times that you're not prospering. Trust <laughs> me, I know. I remember times when my wife and I would have to change and change to make it through the week. There's times that we're not prospering. And God, I think God understands that, and we, we have to go to God on those things as well. But we give as we prosper. So that means, obviously, the more that we have, right? The more that we have, the more that we should give. Not just give, but give proportionately, right? So let's, let's just put it this way. If somebody's making $200,000, $300,000 a year, they should be able to proportionally give more than somebody making $50,000 a year, right? If somebody making fifty gives five, and they're living on forty-five thousand. If somebody makes three hundred and they give thirty, what are they living on? Two seventy. I'd say that's still a pretty good life. As you prosper, you give. You give back to God as you prosper. And you would think that we would. You would think that would be the case, right? But it's really it's backwards from that. You can read study after study after study. And those who are not wealthy, those who do not make a lot of money, they give on average about 6%. I know that's not great, but that's what they give on average. Those that are very wealthy, guess what they give on average? 25 to 3%. Those that who, who are very wealthy. And that's sad. When, when we think about it, that's sad that those people that are that were under the law and under tithes, and we'll go into that a little bit later, they gave more than us who are under grace. 
And it's really sad. When God blesses you, one of the first things that you should do would be, God, I want to give it back to you. Here's, here's my offering back to you out of this blessing that you've blessed me with. And I want to give it back to you generously, and I want to give it back to you cheerfully. Because what? God loves a cheerful giver, doesn't he? Second Corinthians, we're going to read that. It says, Now this I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, which means I can't tell you what to give. Nobody can tell you what to give and say, hey, you have to give this amount. You have to decide that with God, between you and God. And it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all efficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. When you bless God and, and when, when God blesses you and you give it back, God gives more. That's just, that's just the principle. Proverbs eleven twenty four says this. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. All through the Bible, that's the theme. When we're generous and we're, when we're giving, God is going to bless us. Now, I'm not saying you're going to give $100 and automatically you're going to hit the lottery and win a million. That's not what I'm saying. But God is going to bless your life if you're generous in what, what he's blessed you with. Just like a farmer, when we see a farmer out there and they're throwing seed everywhere and scattering seed, I know it's maybe a little more advanced now, uh, but they're out there and they're throwing seed and scattering seed. He's not thinking, I just got to hold this seed for myself, right? I've got to hold on to this seed. No, he's saying, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to scatter this seed and I'm going to trust God for the outcome. That's what we are to do in our giving. We are to give it generously and we are to trust God for the outcome. When we put it in God's hands, it can do so much more than what we can do on our own. Now, I'm saying this as someone who, whose wife convicts him all the time <laughs> of not being generous. God blessed me with the perfect person for me because my leaning is not to be generous. I was someone, when I first started coming here, I'd put a five in and start looking for change to take back. You're looking at somebody that, that, that is not naturally inclined to be generous. I really truly believe that's part of the reason God gave me Nicole, because she is the most generous person that I know, and she helps offset me. I'm saying that as someone who struggles with that. I truly struggle with that sometimes. Let's go into, uh, let's continue on. 1 Corinthians 16, 3. See, we got through two verses already. Paul says, When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send with them letters to carry your gift. And if it's up there, I had it underlined, but it's not underlined there. I had it underlined, but your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So Paul tells the, the, the church here, you pick whoever you want. Uh, to bring that to me, and when it gets to me, when I get it, we're going to take that, and if it's the Lord's will, I'll go with them, and we'll take that offering to these people. I don't want you just to trust me with it. We'll, you send a group of people, we'll take that to these people. And notice also that Paul calls this collection of money, he calls it a, a gift. He calls it a gift. He doesn't call it a tithe. He calls it a gift. And Paul taught about giving probably more than any other apostle in the New Testament. And never in the New Testament will you hear Paul 
call the giving a tithe. It's never called that. See, the tithe was an Old Testament concept that these people would bring in and they would give 10%, and it really ended up, if you counted all their offerings, it was probably around 30% that they would give to the church or to the, the temple who would administer a lot of things through the temple. But Paul uses the word, he doesn't, never uses the word tithe, he uses the word gift because tithe is just something that new, that new churches here, that churches in the New Testament, they can't get rid of because they want to make sure they get the money. They want you to hand them their your W-2 so they can send you the bill, right? 10% of it. That's not what the Bible teaches on giving at all. At all. Paul uses the word gift. And in the Greek, that word is charis. It means grace. It means kindness. In Romans, when he speaks of the offering, he uses a word that, that means fellowship. And in 2 Corinthians, he uses a couple words. One meaning blessing. And the other one meaning ministry. He never calls it a tithe. But Paul is saying what you offer and what you give to God is your ministry. That is your grace that you're giving upon people. That is your fellowship that you want to share in with other believers. It's never this arbitrary thing that you have to give God. It's something that, that God that He wants you to express out of what you've received already from God. It should be given freely and should be given cheerfully. And it should be given as we prosper. But it's sad to think about it really, truly, isn't it? That those people under the law gave 10 to 30%. And all of us, us here, and I'm not saying, I'm not pointing out anybody. I don't know what anybody gives. We make, it, we make sure of that here. But us that are under grace, who are seen and, and receive the grace of Jesus Christ, we give about 3% on average. Isn't that sad? That under the law, they gave more than us who are under grace. That's sad to think about. See, God gives us all this, this chance to, to take part in what He's doing. He doesn't need your money. The Bible says God, God, owns, God owns everything. He doesn't need your money, but He gives you a chance to take part in what He's doing around this world. He has given us a chance to participate in one of the most selfless acts that you will ever do. When you're giving and knowing that people don't know what you give, people don't know who gave it, and you're helping people that never will know you and will never know what you gave outside of when we get to heaven. They'll never know you. You'll never get credit for that aside from how God sees it and how God blesses you with it. Nobody in here is going to pat you on the back what you gave it's between you and God but God allows us to take part in that see when you give to the church you're giving to God's work now I'm not saying you got to give to this church that's awesome <laughs> because there are bills to pay but when you give to God's work your money when you give it here your money goes to help people in foreign countries your money goes to help orphans your money goes to help spread the gospel around the world and in this community you're helping brothers and sisters around the world that you will probably never know until you get to heaven. And it also allows us to face and defeat one of humans' biggest enemies, right? One of humans' biggest idols. Money, wealth, 
3. God is letting us and giving us a chance to do that. I know a lot of you will say, well, here we go, right? Here we go. Church preaching on money. All they want is money. Listen, you can check around this building. You can check out at the North Campus. There's, there's no private jets anywhere. There's no, we're, we're not lavishly spending your money. Trust me on that. We want you to take part in what God is doing. And God wants you to take part in that. We'll never put you under compulsion. That's why we never pass the plate. But it is a spiritual discipline between you and God that you give. That's something that you have to work out with God. God's going to bless us, whether people are faithful or whether they're not and they're giving. But we're obligated to teach it. We are obligated to teach the whole counsel of God's Word. This truth is just, truth on giving is just as important as anything else. It's a spiritual discipline. Would it be right for me to come to a, a text on uh, being a drunkard and not say, say, well, I don't know, you can go get no, it wouldn't be right. Would it be right for me to come to a text on adultery and say, well, God, really, that don't matter. Sin is sin. And if we're not giving to God, that's sin. That's a spiritual discipline. And that's something that you need and we all need to take up with God. Greed and how we handle it is just as important, and God stresses it just as much. Mother Teresa said, if we only give what we do not need, is it really giving? And I've heard it said, I've heard this saying that God judges us not on what we give, on how much we give, but what? How much we keep for ourselves. How much we keep for ourselves instead of trusting God with it. Jesus said this, and it's kind of the same thing. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 12. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which amount, amounted to a cent. Calling to his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned and all that she had to live on. Now, all these people were, were putting in, obviously, larger sums, right? They're putting in larger sums, but Jesus said this woman, in giving what she gave, gave more in the eyes of God than they did because she gave out of her poverty, trusting God with what she had. Not out of her abundance. Not out of her surplus. Not out of what I can spare. Not out of what I can show off to people. It should challenge us a little bit. Our offering should challenge us a little bit because it's a spiritual discipline, right? God wants us to grow in our relationship with Him. He wants us to grow in our trust to Him. It should challenge us a little bit. See, we shouldn't plan our next car and our bigger house and our remodel and our next three vacations before we think about giving to God. But that's what we do a lot of times. We make sure we're all set, and then what do we have left to give to God? That's not how it should be. Think about this for, for a second. If somebody that you love, somebody important, if somebody that you really love came over to your house 
and they came over for dinner. Would you bring out the two-day-old meatloaf and serve them the leftovers? Would we do that? Answer me. Would we do that? We wouldn't, would we? Yet what do we give God? We give God our leftovers. Now, I'm not looking at anybody. I don't, like I said, I don't know what anybody gives. That's between you and God. This is just in general. And we better move on here. If you notice, I do have security in the back. We're going to move on here. 1 Corinthians 16.5 says, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to, to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul tells them that he leaves room for God. He says, I want to come to you, but I'm going to have to see what God has for me, right? God may move me somewhere totally different, but my plan is and my goal is to come to you and spend time with you if God will permit it. And Paul tells them, I want to stay with you for a while, but I can't come right now because God has opened this huge door this great door of ministry opportunity to me, and I have to walk through it. I have to do what God has opened up this door for me to do. And Paul stays there, and he ministers in, in, the, in Ephesus, and God opens this great door, and the church starts to grow, and people starts to grow, and the gospel starts to spread throughout Ephesus. And he stays there, and God is moving, and God is doing all these great things, but Paul says what? It's not without opposition. It's not without hardship that this is happening. You can read about all of that in Acts, Acts chapter 19 or even all through Acts. But Paul is preaching to these people and they're coming to Jesus. The church is growing. Things are going great. But then somebody starts to get upset, right? Because there's a temple there to a false god. And there's a silversmith there named Demetrius. And he starts getting mad because now all these people are coming to Christ and they don't need these trinkets anymore. They don't need these idols anymore. So now he's starting to lose money. Now he's getting upset. And he gets this, these people in an uproar. And they search Paul out and they want to beat him and kill him. Uh, but God sends someone in to, to intervene, this town clerk. And he, he intervenes and, and Paul's saved again by the grace of God. But what's for us in there is when God is moving, when God is opening doors, walk through them. Walk through those doors. When God puts somebody in front of you, it's for a reason. It's for a reason. Walk through that open door that God has opened to you. Don't let opposition discourage you because if any, any good thing that happens, any good thing that God is trying to do, opposition is going to show up because they don't want it to succeed. They don't, the devil don't want you to be ministering the gospel. The devil doesn't want you to succeed in your Christian walk. Don't let opposition discourage you. Let it encourage you that, okay, I must be doing something in God's will, right? Because the devil is opposing me at every step. I'm not going to get discouraged. God's opened the door for me here, and I'm going to walk through it. No matter how much this world tries to stop me, I'm going to walk through it. First Tim, or Second Timothy 3 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Does it say might be persecuted? It doesn't. It says when you try to live for God, when you truly try to live out your faith, you're going to be persecuted. 
expect it. Jesus said the same thing. They, they, they hated me. They're going to hate you too if you live like me. 1 Corinthians 15, we just, Pastor Nate just went over this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing what? That your toil, that your work is not in vain in the Lord. Romans 8 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When the world and when the enemy tries to stop us, remember that you're not working for this life. You're not working for reward in this life. You're working and storing up treasure that's going to wait for you when you get to heaven. That's what you're working for. You're working for the glory that Paul said here in Romans. You're working for the glory that is to be revealed. That's what we're working for. That's what we're doing here. Don't let the enemy slow us down or try to stop us by throwing this opposition at us. And you can guarantee you if you're doing good work for God, you're going to meet opposition. If you're coasting through your Christian life, there's something wrong. You're not doing it right. If you've not met opposition for your faith, something's wrong. The Bible says what? All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Now, I know we live in a country that's a little more accepting. It's getting worse and worse. But if you're truly living your faith out, there's going to be something or somebody that opposes you. That's just the way that it is. Now, 1 Corinthians 16.10, Paul says, Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, so I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Now, I don't know if Timothy's a jerk. I don't know what it is with him, but Paul keeps reminding people not to be mad at Timothy and be mean to him. Uh, now, we read all through, like Timothy, Paul tells him, don't let anybody despise your youth, and, and he seems to be very timid, uh, and maybe people can walk on him. But Paul here, Paul's looking out, right? He's looking out for his protege. He's looking out for his buddy. And he says, listen, don't, don't give him a hard time. He's doing God's work. He loves you. He's doing God's work. He may be a little younger or whatever. He may be a little timid, but he loves the Lord, and he's doing God's work, and he's doing it for you. And he reminds the Corinthian church, don't, don't pick on him without reason. Don't give him a reason to be afraid and be, a, you know, be scared to come to you. Treat him like you would any other brother. Treat him like you would any other minister. Treat him with respect. And that's a good reminder for us that no matter how long we've been saved, right, God can use us. No matter how young you are, God can use you. No matter if you've been saved a week, God can use you. Step out in faith and let God use you. Even though Timothy was scared, Timothy went, right? Even though Timothy was uh, timid, he stayed on at Ephesus. He fought those fears. Even, even though he was that way, he stayed on and did the Lord's work. That's for all of us here. 1 Corinthians 16, 12 says, But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come. Now, that's pretty hard. <laughs> but he will come when he has opportunity. So if you remember back in our study in 1 Corinthians, Paul kind of scolded the people, Remember? He scolded these people because they started picking sides. I am of Apollos. I am of Paul. 
And Paul, and Paul said, that shouldn't be anybody. You should be looking to Jesus, not anybody. Right? But, and Paul kind of scolded them here. And now, apparently, uh, these people are starting to ask about Apollos. Hey, what's going on with him? Why hasn't he come back to see us, right? What's he doing? Why hasn't he come back to see us? And maybe some of them, you know, they sent a letter to Paul. Maybe some of them's asking, hey, Paul, why are you, are you not letting Paulus come back to us? Or what? And Paul says, listen. I urged him, that, that word has strongly urged him to come to you. So Paul says, listen, it ain't me. He just don't want to come see you. No, I'm just kidding. He don't like you no more. I don't know what it, but he, Paul's saying, listen, it's not me. Apollos has other things that he has to do in the Lord. 